this morning, or this afternoon, sorry, the day is running together. This afternoon, we're going to sing another hymn of the church that simply says that I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. So let's worship together. so many needs that are a part of this body. Lord, we tonight want to pray specially tonight for Sister Mary Weaver, God, who is traveling to North Carolina this evening. Lord, tomorrow she starts her next bout and round of chemotherapy, Lord. And Lord, this particular time with her chemotherapy has really made her real sick and nauseous and just uh, wipes her out for a few days. And Lord, she is pretty nervous about that tomorrow. And so Lord, I ask that you would go with her and Brother Wendell as they're traveling or even right now towards North Carolina. That tomorrow when she begins those treatments, God, Lord, this time around, Lord, she would, Lord, find the favor of God on her life, and she would find, Lord, that this time around, Lord, that it's a little bit better or a little bit easier than the previous times. Lord, I pray for Ashley Harley today, God, who is, uh, Lord, having some really debilitating migraines today and just really struggling, God, and, and, and her health is not doing well today. Lord, I pray you would just touch her today, Lord. She wanted to be here so badly today, but God, her health is just not cooperating today, and Lord, I pray, God, that you would be with the, those, the Lord, that are still battling sickness in their body. There are some still battling 
sinus infections and battling all kinds of other ailments. But Lord, we know that you are a great physician and a healer. God, they may not be here right with us right now, but that doesn't mean you can't go to where they are right now. So Lord, we ask that you would touch them where they are. Lord, we pray you'd be with this service this, tonight. You'd be with every singer, every instrumentalist, every person that reads scripture, every one that has a part in this service. Lord, that it would be for the advancement and the glory of your kingdom. And Lord, we ask all these things in the Son, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The people of God together said amen. amen. You take the next few moments and just greet those around you in the Lord. Let's sing together. 
love you, Lord. We worship you today, Lord. We glorify the name of the Lord. This next song simply just says, all our hope is in Jesus. And that's our prayer today, that all of our hope be in Jesus today.
to that today. The Lord just takes all of our sins. He forgives them today. This next song we're going to sing tonight just simply says that we are here to worship the Lord. You were light of the world and you stepped out in the darkness. Open my eyes, let me Here I am to 
Lord, we worship you today. Give you the praise to your name. For his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King. 
Father, Lord, we come before you tonight. God, we ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people that have been sung in this house. Lord, that truly should be our heart's desires to bow down before you, to love and adore you because your name truly is wonderful. God, as the previous song we sang said so eloquently, we are here, God, to worship you. That's the primary focal point of why we're here. Lord, it's great to fellowship together. It's great to have snack nights. It's great to see one another and spend time with one another. But nothing else matters than being with you and to worshiping you. That's why we're here. So, God, we take the next few moments of this time together before we segue into other events and things tonight to welcome you not only in this place, but thank you for your abiding presence that we have felt in this place today. Father, I pray that every word that is still still to be spoken or notes to be played would be continuance for the honor and the advancement and the glory of your kingdom. And Father, I ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us today. And for that, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name, the name above all names, Christ Jesus, we pray, and the people of God together said amen. 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 You can be seated in the presence of the Lord briefly if you can. I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 31. Deuteronomy, chapter number 31. And uh, we'll begin. Yes, sir. Not online, they won't hear you. I think everybody knows um, how bad I was sick and and a lot of people just took notes and and I believe that God does heal. Um, A lot of people say that he's your doctor. I don't believe that. I believe he wants to be glorified. I believe that he still heals if we put our trust in we in times have lost him, but I believe that this little church has come together and prayed for each other in a way that a lot of churches don't do anymore. So tonight I'm probably going to make the pastor and his wife mad. Where's my people? Everybody knows that she's been having problems, and I believe that God can heal her. I believe he will heal her. I believe in all my heart. That's what he wants, isn't it? For he wants the glory, not some doctor, not some medicine. He wants the glory. And I ask this night, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, touch her and heal her, Father. For only you can do this. We ask these things, O Lord, all in one accord, in love and trust and faith in you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I say to you, uh, many of you have asked, Van already kind of has talked to many of you, so it's it's not, um, I guess you would say a secret. Uh we didn't get the report we were hoping for. We, 
you're thankful we don't have a tumor. Um, Brianna will give you the correct terminology. Basically, in your brain, uh, when you come out of your neckline and you go up to your brain, it loops around and comes down and catches down your gerard, your carotid. And this side or both sides of feeding the brain up top, both of those vessels are very are very narrowing, and, and we don't know if they're closing or they're closed, but they're very narrow. So the headaches and the optic nerve edema, uh, we don't know what spurred what or whatever, but when we began to think and we began to d deliberate, we thought, well, maybe there was some medicine behind it and we could stop this medicine, it would fix it. Well, we went a couple of uh, last week and back to the uh, eye specialist and he said, the optic, ger uh, optic nerve edema is looking great and we thought, fixed it. That was it, medicine. So the, and he even said that day, he said, oh, I think you got nothing to worry about tomorrow when you go to the neurologist, you're fine. So Brianna met me, I was at, in Somerville, she met me, we went to lunch, we celebrated, we were excited, we were like, tomorrow we're just going for formality. But you know, we were kind of suspicious why they wouldn't tell us over the phone, but we were like, you know, maybe they just, that's their office practice, whatever, we were doing pretty good. She said, you don't even need to go in the office, I'm going to be fine, I'll just go in. And she did. She came out. She, uh, she always likes to joke with me every time I ask her how she's doing. She says, well, I'm dying. And I, I think I, that's so I don't know whether to believe that is true or not anymore. I don't I just she always likes to get under my skin by saying that. So she gets in the car and I said, so what do you say? I'm dying. And I said, quit playing with me. Don't don't play this game. And she said, OK, so I'm not like dying, dying, but I'm not OK. And I said, what do you mean you're not OK? Now, you can super spiritualized all you want to first thing I thought of you know yes I needed the Lord but I, I was like what is not okay I mean what is not okay we're talking about your brain here what's not okay um, and so he gave us our diagnosis and, uh, and again she has to say the word I can't pronounce it it's more than five letters I can't pronounce it but uh, he told us he said um, you're high risk for strokes at any moment a clot or anything stroke out on me. So I said, what am I, I got in the car, I said, so what does that mean? Like I go to see, I go to senior pastor meeting tomorrow and you can not wake up for work because you stroked and I'm not, no, I don't know. Like I can't, what does that mean? She said, well, that's, yeah, that's possible. Anything can happen. He told me he's going to get off the other medicines and stuff and this, that, and the other. And now uh, we have not, please understand, we have, we sat down, we have always mulled the idea one day we wanted a family and we've talked about that, having children one day of our own told us and he said she said well there's one kind of serious part though about this and I said what's that she said he said under no circumstances can I have kids right now at all because the change of hormones can make my stroke even higher he said so and I can't take any kind of medicines to help that like literally I, I can't take any medicine I can't get pregnant I can't I could stroke now you say whatever you want to think whatever but in that moment I thought okay kids are important to me but you're important to me. Like, I don't need you stroking out on me here, okay? But for someone like her who loves kids, that was a gut punch. Because even though we know it's not forever, but we don't know when or if right now. And I didn't, you know, I let her tell everybody yesterday and today in various places. I wasn't even going to say anything. Brother, Brother James, I thank you for obeying the Lord. I wasn't going to say anything. But you know, she's like, it's going to be fine, see what it is, this, that, and the other. And I said, yeah, but you know medical stuff better than I do. Is it really going to be fine? She said, well, honestly, I, I really don't know. 
As of right now, we don't know the prognosis per se. We have more testing to do, a vein mapping of the map or of your brain, where they actually map out your brain. When this is all said and done, may end up ended up with stents, having to have surgery, if that's the route we, you know, choose to take. But I, again, I wasn't gonna say anything. But Brother James is right about one thing. They can go vein map all they want to, but before they map it, God can reroute it. He can reroute it. They can see what they see yesterday, or, or excuse me, on Friday, and say, well, it's narrowing and it looks like it's closing. But when they vein map it, they make it come back and say, oh, it's just a birth defect. You've been that way your whole life. There's nothing to worry about. We just couldn't really see how narrow it was. That's been there all along. You're fine. Go have a family and live your best life now. I believe God can turn it around. They, they don't have to know how he did it. They just, he can do it. He can reroute it. So I want to say, Brother James, thank you so much. But I would ask that you would continue uh, to pray uh, for us on this journey. Um, she always smiles and bubbly and will tell you it's all great. But she knows all the if, ands, and buts of medical, so she'll never tell me because it would freak me out. But she knows how serious things like this can be. The doctor even said to her, he made a joke, he said, you do know like if those close off and you don't get blood to your brain, what happens? And she said, yeah, I have a stroke. He said, okay, I didn't want to say that. So she knows the severity of it. But I didn't say it to the doctor. But I, have a, I like to get secondary opinions. Now, I'm not talking about getting secondary opinions from another neurologist of another of, uh, MUSC or Roper. I'm going to go see a specialist that, that actually not just specializes in brain surgeries. He actually put the brain in there. So he knows how it's supposed to operate, where it's supposed to go. He actually made the brain. So I think if anybody, not MUSC, Roper, if anybody knows exactly how the brain should work, it's probably the guy who put it inside there. And so I do, I'm like Brother James, I do believe... That's why I, I remind, when we got in the car, and she told me that, I remembered the scripture, came to my mind like instantly, and I was driving, she said, you're awfully quiet, and I said, yeah, I'm just thinking, she said, what are you thinking about, and I said, I'm thinking of the scripture in the Bible that says, whose report will you believe, but we shall believe the report of the Lord, and I'm telling you, you can say whatever you want to, think whatever you want to, I know what the doctor said, but I'm not satisfied with the answer. Because the old song says, the answer's on the way. This I know Jesus said it. I believe it, and it's so. My heavenly Father knows the need before I pray. The answer is already on the way. And I'm telling you, before we go vein map, before we go do anything, God can already do some brain surgery while she's sleeping one night getting ready for work and go ahead and reroute everything. So by the time we do our testing, they're going to just send us home and say, have a great life. I believe that. So my prayer is, I don't want you to pray that God encourages us because well, I appreciate that. I want you to pray that God shows himself to that doctor and shows himself to those nurses. We know who we believe in. We know whose report we will. We want them to know in who we believe in. And we want them to know the kind of God. I just preached two weeks ago, what a mighty God we serve. And we're standing on that promises. But we believe that God is mighty and what a mighty God we serve. So my prayer, our prayer is that God, whatever you do, you get the glory and mesmerize doctors, astound the nurses, and let everybody say, well, I know what we saw, but I know what we see now. So, Brother James, when we walk in, I can say, oh, I forgot to tell you, my profession, I'm a preacher. I believe in a doctor that's bigger than yours, and I believe in a specialist that's more advanced than you are. Not that I don't appreciate your help, and not that I don't appreciate your co-payments, but my God, which supplies all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, went ahead and took care of that for me, and so thank you, but we're doing just fine. Amen? Amen. So that's our prayer today. So thank you, Brother James. I appreciate that so much. And I, I appreciate your willingness to obey the Lord. 
it's interesting to me, though, that every time you get ready to preach a sermon and you start talking about it, it's like once you preach those things, it's like the devil makes you eat your own words and make you, do you really believe it? Two weeks ago, we preached what a mighty God we serve, and then this past week, we get the diagnosis that we just shared with you, and so it's kind of like, do you believe what you just said two weeks earlier? Do you serve a mighty God, or do you throw in the towel and get upset? Sometimes that just happens in life. You walk through this, and last week, we started talking about the idea of defeating discouragement. Well, we talked about that last Sunday. I didn't know by the end of this past week that we might get a discouraging or a disheartening report. But what the devil may not have known and, and what he may not have realized in trying to make us feel defeated or discouraged is we're getting ready to talk about tonight because we're going to navigate through part two of this message that discouragement doesn't last. It actually eventually is defeated. So it might be there for a little while. You might get that gut, gut punch for a little while. In fact, you may feel a little uncertain for a little while, but God can turn it all around just like that. There's been plenty of people in the Bible that were discouraged, but their story didn't end the way it started. And I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he who begins a good work is faithful to complete the work because he's the one that's the Alpha, the Omega, and the beginning and the end. And so we talk about this defeating this discouragement. We Last week we talked in Psalms 142 about it. But today in Deuteronomy 31 and 8, this is what I had for the message today for part two. And the Lord, he is the one. Now remember, I wasn't going to tell you what I just shared with you. Brother James wanted us to pray, and, and Brianna told many of you already, which was fine. But when I was putting part two of this message together, I wasn't even thinking about Friday, not because I had forgotten about it, but, but I, I didn't want to really focus, focus on that because I wanted to give the word of the Lord. And then when Brother James came up, I thought he was going to come up and say he wanted to be prayed for, not pray for somebody else. And when he began to talk, I remembered the scripture and the scream. And I thought, my God, Brother James, why don't you just take the microphone and preach? You're already up here. Might as well do it. Let me take a break because I'm ready for chicken. So it really doesn't matter to me at this point. But look at what the Bible says. This is how you know you can defeat discouragement. The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. Before you walk into the neurologist's office, there was another doctor already sitting in another chair. He knew the report. The, the rad tech, the MRI technician, the people that read the MRI, uh, somebody else read the report before they did. They already saw the scan. They knew what was happening before we took the scan. He goes before you. Not only does he go before you, he doesn't just go before you and check off the boxes and leave. No, he will go before you, but he will also stay and be with you. He doesn't just walk in the room and go, all right, things look good or things look bad and walks out. He waits till we get to the doctor's office and he's still sitting in the, in the, in the room. Not only does he go before us, not only does he go with us, but when it hits rock bottom, he doesn't bail on us. So you go to the neurologist or you go to the to the cardiologist or you go to the oncologist or you know cancer doctors like Sister Mary will go to tomorrow. And you go to these doctors, they'll walk in. They're going to charge you about $250 to give you about three and a half minutes of their time. That's a good day's living. I wish people paid me $250 for me to only tell them three minutes worth of stuff. I would be rich. They come in, here's what they think. They send their little nurse practitioners, they send their little rad techs, they send all their little people in. But the man you want to talk to or the woman that you want to talk to that has the MD behind their name, they don't stay very long. They come in, make their speech, and they leave. I'm glad I serve a doctor who doesn't just leave my bedside. 
I'm glad I serve a doctor who doesn't walk in and give his speech and then bails on me when it's all said and done. Because, see, when these doctors walk in, they come in and they say, you got cancer and we'll set you up an appointment with our office to start talking about treatment plans. And you know what they do? Walk out. Guess who's still in the bedside? You are thinking about every report you just got. They went on to the next patient's room while you think about it. I'm glad I serve a doctor that even when I get the report, he goes, but now let's talk about this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here with you. That's a good doctor. That's a real good doctor. He not only is before you, he goes with you, but it says he will not leave you nor forsake you. So do not fear nor be dismayed. Don't worry. That doesn't mean it's still not scary. That doesn't mean it's still not overwhelming. But God doesn't abandon us. I didn't go into the doctor's office because we thought it was a simple procedure and report, nothing major. But Brianna didn't go in there alone. She might have been sitting there with the doctor, and they might have thought they were the only two people in the room, but she was not in that room alone. Somebody else was in that room. And she comes out smiling and makes a little joke, I'm dying, and then I thought, could play with me. She said, okay, well, I'm not really dying, but kind of could if something goes wrong, and kind of laughed about it. We were processing it, driving at home. The whole time we, Sister Nine, had that conversation in the car of what's next, it might have been just her and I audibly talking, but there was somebody else riding in the car with us because the Bible says he'll go before me, he'll go with me, and he won't leave me. And even when she went to sleep on Friday night and I tossed and turned all night, rolling over, making sure she was still there, you know, breathing, everything was going great, eventually I went to sleep. I don't know why I didn't go to sleep immediately. Because there was somebody else watching her for me. I didn't need to stay up all night. It wasn't like I could do anything anyway. There was somebody in heaven that has had his eyes roam to and fro over there. He was watching. It was He was right there by the bedside the whole time. When I go home tonight and we go to we go to sleep and I get up in the morning to get ready to go teach at CLM and get ready to head to the senior pastor's uh, meeting there in Greenville tomorrow afternoon, when all that happens, I may have to go tomorrow night, stay in a hotel and get up and go Tuesday morning. Brianna may sleep tomorrow afternoon and get up and go to work and come home on Tuesday morning and sleep. While I might toss and turn thinking, Lord, please don't let that happen while I'm gone. In reality, why do I need to worry? Because somebody else is already there watching out for her. He's got it. And so I want to finish part two tonight on this. I thought, how do we defeat discouragement? Father, to the best of my ability, teach us this night that discouragement is not the end of all. God, it can be conquered by the one who knows it all. Father, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ's name we pray. The people of God together said amen. Amen. I will preach quick so that we can get moving because I know you're here for the chicken, not for this. So let's get moving right along. Last week we talked about the idea of what was discouragement. What is it? What does it entail? We talk about it as when you feel let down, or you feel sorted down, or you feel like quitting, or you feel like giving up, when you feel like there's no need to go on. And we, we talked about that many people live this life full of discouragement. Everywhere they turn falls apart around them. We talked about that it's a state of mind. We talked about how many people like David had moments in their spiritual journey of where they struggled along the way. We talked about how it can be negative. It's contrary to Christian living or, or the mindset that Christ wants you to have. We talked about the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 and 8 told us we should think on the good things, the noble things, the virtuous things, the things of good rapport. We talked about that 
human brain has the capacity to understand about a hundred trillion words and we can accept ten new facts every second even though we never really reach that max potential. But then we begin to briefly begin to discuss and we stopped at this point about that sometimes discouragement will make itself visible or evident. It would be displayed. Sometimes you can't hide the defeat of uh, uh, that you're feeling. Sometimes in your life you can't hide the hurt you're feeling. Sometimes you may try you may try to hide it, you may try to cover your face, you may try to put on a smile. In essence, you may try to put on what we call that proverbial mask. You, you try, you try hard, but sometimes your face just gives it away. You can't help it. Now, some people, they want to let their face be on display because they want people to ask. Some people get some kind of gratification by constantly having people, are you okay? Are you okay? The attention seeking. Are you okay? Do you, do you need anything? You want me to get you something? You know, they, they're, you know, I, I used this analogy a, long, uh, a while back in another uh, sermon that I was uh, preaching in another location. Uh, my, my grandmother, I love her to death and, and, and rest her soul, and she was a sweetheart of a lady, but she was a hypochondriac. She just was. You could go to church, and you could cough twice. My grandmother, by that Sunday night when she got home, she'd got pneumonia. She didn't cough at all, but you cough, she's got pneumonia. I have pneumonia. So my grandmother did. See? Somebody coughed, and my grandmother would go home, go home and she'd, she'd, by Monday, she'd be ready to call doc, the doctor. doctor. I got to call Dr. Rhodes. Why, Granny? I got pneumonia. How do you know you got pneumonia? I can feel it in my chest. Feel what? I'm telling you, there's a rattling. Granny, you didn't even cough. You didn't even sneeze twice. You don't even have, you know, discharge coming out your nose. There's nothing wrong. I, I'm telling you, I got pneumonia. It's walking pneumonia. I can still get up and go. So that means it's walking. I don't think that's how walking pneumonia works, Granny. You know, how do you feel? Death. I feel like death. I feel like death combed over. I never knew death had a comb over. I didn't know he was bald. I didn't know he could comb it over. Wasn't sure how that works. She's a hypochondriac. Everything. She was, she, it, it didn't matter. You'd ask her, Sister Vaughn, how you doing? Oh, I, 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 it's been rough. Really? Yes, dear. It just, it's been, it's been tough. How, how's your family doing? Oh, they're doing all right. You know, my, my dad's got, you know, so-and-so. She'd ask, and they'd say, oh, well, my dad's battling this, or my, my daughter's got a sinus infection. My grandmother would be like, oh, I've had that before. In fact, I got pneumonia right now. I'm like, how do you know that? See, she, you know, and I love her to death. Don't get me wrong. But some people, they, they, and I'm not saying this is her intent, but, but some people, they thrive on the, the response, the reaction, the, the getting, getting that feeling of affirmation. They like the attention. They're, they're attention-seeking in the sense that they want you to say, oh, are you okay? Do you want us to bring you soup? Do you, do you want us to, to cut your grass? You know, and they're like, oh, you don't have to do that. Well, we don't mind. Okay, be there tomorrow at 8 o'clock. You know, you may not have ever met those people. I've met a couple people. They, you'd say, well, can I get you anything? No, no, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm really okay. Would you need us to, to cut your grass or anything? Or, or bring, no, no, I, I'm all right. You know, we really don't mind. Okay, well, if you'd like to cut the grass, I'll be home at 9 in the morning. Okay, so you did want something. Some people like that. But some people, they hide it well. They, they mask themselves, and you don't see the discouragement. Some people walk into church every Sunday with a smile, but it's fake. It's pre-rehearsed. They come in and they, good morning, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm blessed. Highly favored. Now, for some people, 
they really mean that. They're blessed and highly favored. And really, in all reality, when someone says they're blessed and highly favored of the Lord, they're not being a liar. Actually, we all are blessed and highly favored because if it not be for God, we wouldn't be here. So, reality, we are all blessed and highly favored of God. But sometimes you can see Sister, you know, Bubbly Bobby Joe comes in and she walks in and she's every morning she comes in and she's like, Good morning, Santi. So it's so good. Sister Alma, how you doing? God is good. He's greatly, great to be praised. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, two or three weeks later, Sister Bobby Joe comes in and Sister Alma doesn't hear Bobby Joe before she gets in the door like normal. And she walks by Sister Alma. Sister Alma thinks, Hmm, that's kind of strange. Bobby Joe's not being Bobby Joe because Bobby Joe's normally heard across the street before she gets here. And so Sister Alma goes up to her and says, Bobby Joe, how you doing? And Bobby Joe goes, well, yeah, Sister Alma, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. But see, here's the difference. That's true, but Sister Alma can pick up, but that's not normally how Sister Bobby Joe enters into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts of praise. She has a moment where she realizes something doesn't add up here. Some people are very extrovert personalities. I'm not. I'm very inward. I'm very calm. I like to stay at home. I don't like people. Uh, I don't, I'm just a very quiet, bashful, and shy Brianna is loud and boisterous and likes to see the world. So if I walk into church on Sunday morning, just good morning, church, how are we doing? And I come by Miss Ann or Miss Niner or Miss Sandy or Miss Angela, whoever at the front door, or Miss Patricia, and I am like, good morning. They're thinking, our pastor's lost his mind. What's wrong with him? If, if Brianna comes in that Sunday, they think, oh, well, she's just happy to be here. But if I walk into church, or excuse me, if Brianna walks into church on Sunday morning and they say, hey, how are you doing? And Brianna goes, I'm good morning, how are you? She just kind of gives that little laugh. They're going to think, well, something's wrong with it. No, they're going to think that's normal. If I walk into church on Sunday morning and Sister Ann says, good morning, Pastor, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing all right, I'm doing okay. And I go into my office. You know the first thing she's going to be doing? Okay, don't lie to me. What's going on? This is not you. There's something wrong with you. Because we can tell that when times people, we, when, even when we try to hide it, there are times in our lives we cannot hide the fact that discouragement is upon us or, or we feel a certain type of way and, and we all go through seasons it's not like no none of us in here are immune to discouragement it happens all the time you see the devil uses that to his advantage God God doesn't want us to stay discouraged in fact Moses was responsible for over three million people in numbers 11 and he gets to the point he's ready to quit <laughs> he's done with this he said, I am not able to keep bearing all these people's problems. There are three million people, not one of them like church. They all don't like something. I can't do this. It's too heavy. He's so discouraged, he says to God, why don't you just kill me here and let somebody else have this job? That's what every pastor back in the early 90s and 2000s prayed for every Monday morning. Lord Jesus Christ, take me out of here. I'm sure that during COVID... There are a lot of pastors who, with large churches or larger churches or even, maybe even, well, I don't even say larger, but, but maybe very healthy churches with money and tithes and offering support. When COVID hit and all of a shut down and people started bailing and, and money may have started wavering for some of these churches, there might have been some pastors in the middle of COVID that because they couldn't stay behind their people. They couldn't see them every Sunday. They didn't know where they were. There was probably some pastors that were thinking to God, God, why don't you just take me out of here now? Don't let me bury this church and kill them. Don't let me watch this plane go down under my watch. Now, I want you to be very careful and cognizant of what I'm about to say here. But some people stay there welcome too long. Because there's a fine line between continuing to advance the kingdom of God and building a church or burying the church God let you build. And some people 
And I love pastors, but sometimes it is hard for some pastors to let go when God says let go. And they end up doing more harm to the body than helping the body. And the reality of it is during seasons like COVID, no doubt when people would call their church clerk and start getting reports and they'd say, you know, Sister Carol, you know, how is the finances looking this week? I know we did online church. Nobody was able to, how's the finances? Some churches probably had the disheartening reality of before COVID, we're taking in 10, 12, 14,000 or 20 or $30,000 a month tithes and offerings. And that particular week, the clerk said, well, Pastor, we took in, you know, for this month, we, we only took in about, you know, $1,500. So there's probably some pastors who their hearts sank in their chest. Because they still had mortgage payments. They, they still had salaries of staff they had to pay. There was probably many pastors that really hit discouragement at its finest when they were isolated and quarantined during COVID. Now, I will say, to the glory of God, God was great to us. Now, I, I, I again, not knocking any other church, but God was great. We went up in giving, then down again. We actually did better when we were away from each other. I don't know if that's because y'all were more excited I wasn't around, so you paid to keep me out or what, but it worked. It was going good. And God's still been blessing, and we thank him for that. But there are people, Moses said, God, I can't keep doing this. I can't, I can't bear it. You know, what if God would have taken Moses up on his offer? <laughs> what if God would have said, okay, pew, and just took him out? Because sometimes we pray dumb things. My wife tells me that when I get upset, I'll preach on me for a minute because I don't want anybody else to feel conviction. My wife tells me that when I get upset, sometimes I say stupid things. Maybe I do. Sometimes I don't even remember what I said. So it's probably highly likely I did say something dumb. I don't know. I don't even remember what I said. I can't remember what I ate for breakfast, unless that's what I said 10 minutes ago. But how many prayers have people prayed that if God would have took them literally in that moment, would things have been adversely different than what they are today? What if every time you just got disgruntled with the boss and you thought, oh, my Lord, I wish you'd just take him out? And he did. <laughs> Right there, boom, your boss just died right there in front of you. You know, that sounds good in theory to some people, but in reality, that may not be good after all. Sometimes when we get upset or bothered or things happen, there are times in our lives, sometimes we pray things, but we're like praying amiss. We're not, we don't really mean it. We're just frustrated. But what if God took us literally for everything we say? Then things would look different. You see, we see all the, we know all the provisions God gave. Elijah, we know he got, he got depressed or disheartened or discouraged. He's running from the wicked queen Jezebel. He prayed God would kill him too. Man, these pastors are really going through some stuff. He said, God, take me out. I'm tired of running from her. Just take me out. But if he'd have done that, he'd have missed out on other things. I started thinking about others. I mean, David. Many other, I mean, there's so many people in the Bible. We look at them as iconic figures of the faith. But the reality of it is, while we look at them as iconic figures of the faith, they had moments where they hit rock bottom. They hit the dirt. David didn't always live on the mountain. Sometimes he was running for his life in caves, hiding out. Not just as a royal ambassador. There were times he's running for his life as the king. He's the head of the town. He's the guy in charge. And he's running from the mob trying to take him out. Look, I've been, I've been around. I won't say I've been in. I've been around some churches where the pastors felt like they were running from the mob that was on a linchpin trying to take him out. I know that's hard to believe, but there are some churches in this world. Unfortunately, I, I, I would like to say that, that this is not the case, but the reality of it is it is. There are a lot of churches, there are some churches in this nation 
that even though the CEO or the called man of God is the pastor of that house, there are some churches that there's a mob every week waiting on him, trying to take him out every Sunday. They're having secret meetings behind his back they're, they're, or her back, whoever it is. They're, 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 they're stirring up dissension. They're always a thorn in his flesh. There are people out there, there are wolves and sheep. There are people that they, they can say all the right things, but in reality, they're out to try to take out the guy in charge. It's sad to say, but the reality of it is it's still true nonetheless. So what do you do? What do you happen when you get those bad reports? Well, you also can realize that not only is discouragement de defined and discouragement displayed, but we can, in reality, we can defeat discouragement. We can beat it. It's something that we can, we can overcome. You say, how is that, how's that possible? Well, the reality of it is, when someone is discouraged, normally the first thing they do is run from the problem. They want to run from the marriage. They want to run from the job. They want to run from the kids. They want to run from the church. They want to run. And more often than not, they run and they don't know where they're going. They're just running from the problem. They're not working towards a solution. They're just running from the problem. But to defeat discouragement, you don't run from the problem. You run to the problem solver. That's how you defeat it. You don't sit back and live in some utopian world and say, well, I'm never going to have a problem. Because you're going to find out real soon that's a lie. You're going to have problems. But instead, if you want to truly defeat discouragement in your life, you don't run away from the problem. You run to the problem solver. Because you can run from the problem all you want to. But guess what? The problem is going to always follow you. And the problem is going to always be the problem. The problem is never solved until you get the problem solver involved. You can run from the marriage. But you know what? You leave your husband. You leave your wife. And you go to another man or a woman and get married. You know what? You're still going to have problems. That spouse is going to leave their dirty shoes at the back door. That spouse is going to leave their dirty socks on the couch. That spouse person is going to still clip their toenails and leave them on the bedside table and not clean them up. That spouse is going to still not wash the dishes. That spouse ain't going to do nothing in the house at all. They, whatever you might got mad at it, the first spouse that they didn't do wrong, the second one's going to annoy you just as much because if you don't get yourself okay, you're just going to take that same problem to the next one and to the next one. And that's why some people, and I love people, and I would never judge anybody, and I would always want to love them to Jesus. That's why some people on their third, their fourth, their fifth, their sixth marriage, it ain't always the person they were married to. They just never dealt with the problem, which was what they were and what they were battling because they kept running from the problem. Well, they kept running from this. They kept running from that. You know, I hate to say this, and please, Lord, forgive me, and, and, and I hope you hear my heart, but that's why some pastors can't stay at a church longer than two years because they keep running from the problem. They got about they got about two years worth of good sermons, and after that, they don't know what else to say because they, they don't have anything else to say and, and the church gets a little hard and as soon as somebody gets a little disgruntled or five people leave or somebody don't like something he does so what does he do he calls the state overseer and he says I just feel like the Lord is calling me to greener pastures and I have got this word from the Lord and so they've, they've had a 40 year ministry but in their 40 years they've pastored 20 churches well you do the math if you've been in ministry 40 years and you pastored 20 churches in the state of South Carolina you didn't stay very long to get to know the people very long because they hadn't been there long enough to know about it and I'm not trying to th I'm one of them in terms of church of God I believe in the church of God but I believe also you can bloom where you planted you ain't always got to go to the church across town you ain't always got to go to the place that's got 
a bigger music department. You don't always have to go to the people that have the better light system. Sometimes if you stay where you are, God will give you a good music program. God will give you a good building to work with. God will give you good ministry leaders. But you got to get in the field. No, no harvest field it grows itself. Somebody's got to get in there and plow the ground. Somebody's got to put seed in the ground. Sometimes there are people, they'll just bounce from place. You cannot run from their problems. You've got to run to the problem solver and let him take care of it. You know, I have people say to me, well, Pastor, you know, I've had people even since I've been here. You know, Pastor, you've been, Brother Vaughn, you've been there. I've been to all these different events. Brother Vaughn, you've been at Sandy Circle how many years? Oh, two years, two and a half years, three years, whatever the time period was at the time. Oh, don't you? you that church was about 20 when you went there, right? And I was like, yeah, something like that. And, you know, how many of y'all running now? You're running however many God sends you. No, no, how many you No, no, brother. See, what you want to know is you want to know if your church is bigger than mine. I ain't giving you that satisfaction. How's your, how's your ties holding up? I'm still eating. My wife and I still have a house, and God's not broke, so I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. No, no, brother. I mean, how you doing? By that size church, y'all run what? About ten, twelve thousand dollars ties. We're blessed and highly favored the Lord. The lights are still on when I left last night. God's good, isn't he, church? I, I don't give that satisfaction. Why? Because all they want to do is measure themselves by us. I've had people come to me and say, well, Pastor, you know, Brother Vaughn, you know, even even you know. You've been there, it was 20, and now, now you know, I, I noticed that the last statistical report before, you know, right before COVID hit and, and the last reports came out, you know, you were, you were up around that high mid-40s to 50 mark, and you're probably even bigger than that now, you know, post-COVID or whatever. I mean, you know, you know, there's a lot of good churches out there that, you know, that would be a step up in your ministry. You could become district overseer, and you could, you could get to a bigger church and this, that, and the other. You know, there's churches, I mean, they, there's people that would love you. You're young, your wife's young, you guys could, could be at, you know, there's a church that's running 75 to 100. I mean, that would be a step up for you. You know, you think you'd ever be interested? I said, no. And they were like, no, no, brother, I mean, come on, you know, God's good, you know, he wants to reward you. And I was like, yeah, he can reward me. If he wants me to pastor 100, he'll send me. If God wants me to be the pastor of 150 people, he'll bring me 150 people to pastor. I don't have, the Bible says the fields are wide into harvest, God's just looking for labor. I don't have to bounce to somebody else's field. I don't have to be like those people in the Bible that are gleaning in everybody else's field. I don't have to go to somebody else's field to find people. Berkeley County's got plenty. If he needs field workers, there's there's plenty of field here in Berkeley County. I don't need to go to Anderson. I don't need to go to Greenville. I don't need to go to Columbia. I don't need to go to Buford. There's white fields that are wide into harvest in Berkeley County. There's people here we can find to grow a church with. The reality of it is you can't run from it, but so long, the problem still will follow you. You don't isolate yourself. The Bible says in Psalms 46 and 1, God is, not was, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. If I'm defeated and I'm discouraged, why don't I just go to him? He's my help in time of trouble. I don't run from the problem, but I run to him in prayer. You know, circumstances may not always change the way I want them to, but even if the circumstance doesn't change, it can change me and strengthen me until my circumstances change. I've heard people say, well, marriage is falling apart. Okay. Now, God's going to have to change my husband. All right. What do you want him to change? Everything. Everything about him. I want God to change it. He gets on my everlasting nerves. Everything he does. He just annoys me. He, he just, I just can't stand God needs to change him, preacher. What part do you play? I'm telling you, Pastor, he, he just, it's like he walks in the door and I can feel my, my, my heart change. My, it's just, I can feel it. Change him. What about if he doesn't change as quickly as you'd like? What if it's about you start praying to God, God, help me to be more patient. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is not quick temper. It's long-suffering. It is 
temperance. It is meekness. It is tenderness. That doesn't mean that Brother Billy Bob won't change down the road. But if you pray the right prayer, God can change you to see Billy Bob in a different light until Billy Bob changes. And then 10, 12 years down the road, you may look back and be like, wow, Billy Bob doesn't annoy me anymore. Whether that's because Billy Bob changed or maybe you and I change. We go to God in prayer because God sees things we can't see and he does things we can't do. You can't, you can't make Bob change. You can't make Bobby Sue change. Only God's going to really do that or help them see that. But what he can't, what we can control is allowing God to change us in a situation. Letting God let us see things differently. You see, remember that what happens in life does, excuse me, remember that what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Meaning when you go places, based on your response, people's going to tell where you've been. If life gets bad enough, if every time you get frustrated, the first thing you do is start cussing, people going to find out real quick what's in your heart. They're going to find out one way or the other. A lot of the things that happen to a lot of the things that happens to us in life is 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 made manifested, and the people find out who we really are because when stuff happens, our true character, our true nature, comes to the surface. To defeat discouragement, you got to remember you don't do anything drastic. You don't make permanent decisions on temporary circumstances. You don't make a decision when your emotions are all over the page because you will make a bad decision. Moses, God, kill me. I can't stand these people. God says, okay. Moses dies. Now what? They're still grumbling and complaining, and they're paying him the, you know what to deal with. So there's somebody else. Joshua now has to go and deal with all these cantankerous, ungrateful people. It didn't change the problem. It just killed Moses. <laughs> Nothing changed. So you never make a permanent decision in a situation. To defeat discouragement, you wait on the Lord. Psalm, I mean, Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. But they only do that when they wait on the Lord. They wait. Miss Carol, as you make your way. Another way you can defeat discouragement is you rest or you abide in his word. What better place to look for answers than the book? I mean, God gave us a book. For a reason. In fact, he gave him 66 of them. But, but in reality, God gave us this book so that it can be a guidepost to us on what to do. When I'm angry, there's people in the Bible that were angry. When I'm scared, there were people in the Bible that were scared. When I'm frustrated, there were people in the Bible that were frustrated. When I'm going through a dark season, there were people in the Bible. When I'm dealing with trauma or when I'm dealing with, with, with a heartache or pain or I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one or I'm dealing with a broken heart, there are people in the Bible that did the same. So I go read about them. How did they handle it? Let's find out what they did good. Let's find out what they did bad. And let's learn from them. I love looking at stars. It is almost incredible that somebody with my personality type would want to lay outside and just look at stars. You would think my ADD would kick in and I would find something else to do. My wife says that I can't stay home. Staying home is just not in my DNA except to sleep. We were out the other night. Most of the night, we walked in the door. I was home 10 minutes. I said, I need to run to Walmart. She said, we literally just got in the house. Why, pray tell, do you need to leave already? I said, because there's nothing to do here. She said, it's called a house. You stay. I said, I'm called Jonathan. I'm leaving. Then I said, well, how about ice cream? She said, hey, I felt like it's time to go back out. It changed the whole dynamic of the game. She wasn't leaving the house, but ice cream, well, you know what? Think it's second. I'll second that, you know, think. 
But I love, when I was in California, I did this when we were in Arizona both times. When we were on our honeymoon in Arizona, we stayed at this hotel that had a kind of like a veranda. And you walked out and they had this artificial turf grass and they had built it up and had a fire pit on it and all these little lounge chairs. And one night, I don't remember what, we stayed there a couple nights, I don't remember exactly which day it was, but one night we decided we were going to go, we went and got coffee in town. And we went out back to that veranda and we sat there and we laid down on this, this like artificial turf, fake grass, and we just laid up. And I mean, the, the, the landscape was so clear, it was so clear that night, not a cloud in the sky. You see all the stars. And you just land on the right, hey, there's Orion. There's Bell. There's the little dip. There's the big dip. Oh, there's Polaris. Well, that's Jupiter and Mars, the bright stars. That's actually planets. And we were just sitting there looking at them from here and trying to use our Google images and trying to see what star was which and Google Lens. So beautiful. We were in California. We went all over the east of the western coast. And multiple times we would always see these two stars. They were actually planets. Come to later to find out it was, I think, Jupiter and Mars or something. They were planets. Actually, we went and Googled to find out what it was. But they were so bright. So bright. But you know how why they were so bright? Because the landscape that they were over, the backdrop was so dark. When it's out like it is right now, I can't see Jupiter and Mars right now because the sun outshines Jupiter and Mars. I can't see stars right now because the sun is outshining the stars. But when the tapestry of, and the backdrop of the, the skyline is pitch black dark, even the faintest and minuteness of brightness of stars I can see displayed on a really dark black uh, uh, backdrop in canvas. I could see those bright Jupiter and Mars. I could see them. They're so clear. They were gorgeous. But the sun wasn't out. As soon as the next morning the sun came out, guess where I couldn't find in the skyline? Jupiter and Mars didn't disappear from our solar system. They got outshined by the sun. When Jesus is shining, of course, all our problems don't seem like a big deal because when God's shining, nothing seems to be happening. God's, the sun is shining. It's when God's sun or God's presence in our life, it's when God stops pervertedly shining and it gets dark, we can truly appreciate the brightness of the backdrop of the skyline. When you're, in, when you're in discouragement, sometimes you don't need your brother and sister to pray for you. But it's when you're in your dark season and the sun doesn't seem to be shining in your life that you're thankful for people like Brother James that says, can I pray for you? Because that's a star in the dark sky. When that text message comes across the phone and says, I'm praying for you today, they don't know that you're going through hell. But when that text message said, I know who you are and I, you know, just know I'm always going to be there for you. I'm always going to be your friend. You know, I, I just want you to know God laid you on my heart today. I want to, I'm just let you know I'm praying for you today. At that moment, that's like a star on the backdrop of a black sky. You can appreciate that. When life is great and somebody sends you a text message praying for you today, most of the time we're like, oh, thanks, brother, appreciate it. We move on about our way. But when hell is coming against us and somebody like Brother Randy sends a message says, I had you on my heart and I'm praying for you today. At that moment, even though he may have sent that a hundred other times, but in that moment, it's exactly what we needed. And we, at that moment, it was because a star shined on a black backdrop. Psalms 52, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. 
Isaiah 43 and 2, when you pass through waters, I, the Lord your God, will be with you and through the waters. They will not overflow thee, and when you walk through the fire, you will neither be burned nor the flame kindled upon you. Luke 10 and 19, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy. Nothing by any means shall harm you. Deuteronomy 31 and 6, Be strong and of good courage and fear not, nor be afraid. For the Lord thy God, he does go with you. He will not fail thee, nor will he forsake you. Psalms 23 and 4, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Can I tell you, whatever you're going through, the backdrop of your life right now might be pitch black and dark, but can I tell you, the S-O-N still shines. He might be weeping indoors for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The darkness of your night might mean that the S-O-N is not shining like he once did in your life, but can I tell you, God will send somebody to be a starlight in the night. There's people in this church they will pray for you. There's people in this church that will encourage you. There's people in this church that will hold your hand and help you walk. You don't have to be defeated by discouragement. You don't have to be a victim to discouragement or enslaved. But in the name of Jesus, you can stand on His Word. You can stand on His promises. And you can use David as a star. You can use Moses as a star. You can use Abraham as a star. Because if God be for me, who can be against me. He, if he did it for them, he can do it for me. For my God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. So if Abraham overcame it, I can overcome it. If David overcame it, I can overcome it. If Moses was made something, I can be made more than something. If Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jacob and Paul and Silas, and if they can do it, bless God, I can be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I can do it too. Let's stand all over the house tonight. Father, to the very best of my ability, I have preached your unadulterated word to your people today. God, I pray that something was encouragement to this body. They can leave here and realize they don't have to be defeated or discouraged, but they can be an overcomer by Jesus Christ. Father, as we get ready here in just a moment to segue into a different portion of of our time together in fellowship. I pray today, God, that you would let us take this word, and if there's someone watching online that needed this word, let it let it resonate with them today. Speak to their heart. Father, I pray that you would go before us and you would encourage those that need it most. Stand on your word. Don't run from the problem, but run to the problem solver that, Lord, we give you the praise, the glory, and honor. Lord, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer, and may you bless us and keep us, your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, lift up your countenance towards us, give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you return again. In Christ's name we pray. Before I have Brother Randy pray our benedictory prayer and our prayer of blessing over the food tonight, I will ask you if you are a senior pillar of the church if we would we'd like for you to go first uh, and then everyone can trickle down after that but we would like you to do that if possible please go through these doors on this side for me and make the line going down the wall here so that we don't uh, uh, make it kind of congested right here at the at the serving bar uh, but but we there's plenty of food you say oh, pastor I didn't I didn't remember I didn't bring anything don't worry about it we got plenty of food you're going to be fine and if we run
run out. I'll run to Walmart before anybody notices and bring it back. So you'll be fine. So please stay. Let's fellowship together and just have a wonderful time in the Lord. I love you. I'm going to ask Brother Randy to pray our closing prayer and benediction. And immediately following that, you are free to be.